0: Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Today is Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and His presence and His power and his majesty in our lives and the fruit that he produces and one of the things that we're going to do to celebrate that today is we'll be receiving members at the end of our service today we have several folks that are joining the church family and we're, we're delighted in that the spirit of god works in the church works in the body of christ works through the body of christ and and we're just excited about what god has done in bringing these folks into our church family So today, as we're winding down our journey through the book of Revelation in the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, this book that's so wild and woolly and strange and weird and yet so magnificent as we see God's work, His end game as He's just kind of the final plan of God unfolding for human history. And we're coming to the very end. And last week, we explored the final judgment. It was terrifying. It's awful in every way to see the lake of fire and to understand that if you've rejected Christ, that's your destiny, your eternal destiny. What a horrible, terrifying thing. And yet everyone who winds up in that lake of fire is there because they've rejected Christ. They're there because actually they want to be there because they don't want Jesus. They don't want Him as King of kings and Lord of lords of their lives. And that's their destiny. And it's a terrible, horrible thing. The old heavens and earth have been destroyed. They're now being renovated and they've become brand new. And that's what we're seeing unfold before our very eyes as we read in Revelation chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 21. 22 as well You know the whole point of Revelation is not just to entertain us It's not just a fantasy story that makes us feel good and you know Just kind of as a as a exciting chapter at the end of a long book that's been difficult to read through There's something else going on here God has given us vision of the future to inspire us to be faithful to help us hang on no matter how difficult, how hard, how painful it is to follow Christ and serve him, to be loyal and true to him even when our bodies are falling apart and the pain is increasing and death is looming. Even if we're being persecuted, even if we're being harassed and bullied, even if we are threatened with death and torture for Christ's sake, Revelation's message is hang on, keep at it, serve Christ. Be faithful and don't be afraid and don't bail on him. Stay true to him. Stay true to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus because it's worth it. It's worth it to hold on to him. It's worth it to be true to him. It's worth it to endure the suffering. It's worth it to even face death for him. It's worth it. Look at what's coming. So. This morning, my hope and prayer is it will take our eyes off this world and everything that we're focusing on here, the, all the mundane things that crowd into our lives, our busy schedules, our filled agendas, all the issues and challenges that we have. And I'm, I'm asking us just to lift our eyes up and, and understand that there is something coming that is far better. There is something that's coming way better. Not just pie in the sky that has no value today. No, something that can inspire us that can motivate us, give us hope today and encouragement today to keep going no matter how difficult the road is to follow Christ and serve Him. So I wanna encourage you, take your Bible now and let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. If you're using one of the Bibles from church, it's on page 1041, that's where we'll be reading. Because today what we're reading about is our forever home. God's forever family, the church, has a forever home, and He's preparing this home, and this is the plan, this is the vision of this home, this is what this home is like. Some of us have had a difficult relationship with our, pre- our parents, and we kind of dread going home. God's forever home is not at all like that. It's something that it's exciting, it's wonderful, it's full of hope, it's full of life, it's full of vitality, it's full of significance and purpose and value and it's something that we long for deep in the deepest part of our souls. We want to go home and be with him. This passage will help us see that home and inspire us to keep going and keep plugging away and keep being faithful, no matter how difficult it is what we face today. Revelation chapter 21, it's on page 1041, and I'm starting at verse one. I'd like to just read this passage. Listen carefully. the detestable as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and its gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed Its length and width and height were equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall is built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and there will be no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word. This is our forever home. This is the forever home for God's forever family. If you're a member of the forever family of God, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ and you belong to him, his family, his kingdom, his church, if you belong to it, then you are his, and he is yours, and this is your destiny. This is the forever home that God has promised to everyone who trusts in Christ and follows him. I want you to notice several things about this home. And the thing I want to just say right at the very beginning is, I almost feel unworthy to talk about it because it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it's so glorious, and my words and our thoughts and even what's described here can't do it justice. It's better than what we're even reading here. It's more glorious than what... John has tried to describe it in his limited ability. Yes, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but words can only do so much. Seeing is believing. Seeing is really experiencing and and feeling it and hearing it and sensing it in every way. And this city is so glorious and so wonderful. It's bigger and better and more beautiful than we could possibly imagine. And because that's true, it's worth holding on today. It's worth holding on to Jesus because it's worth it. Look at this city. I want you to notice how beautiful this city is. It's a beautiful city. And that seems trite to say. But look at all the ways that it's described here in this passage. You see its massive size. It's, you know, they say it's 12,000 stadia. I don't know the last time you ever walked a stadia. But, uh, you know, basically something that distance is somewhere between 1,400 miles in length to up to 1,600 miles in length. That's the total distance that we're talking about. This is a massive city. It's length, it's width, and it's height. It's a cube, and it's nearly 1,500 uh, miles in length and width and height, and you can do the math and come up with how many billion uh, square miles of uh, volume that it would have. It's a huge city. Now, just to kind of by comparison, Mount Everest, you know, about the highest we can walk on Earth, uh, is only six miles high. Uh, satellites orbit somewhere between 100 to 200 miles above the Earth. This is something 1,500 miles from the surface of the new, new Earth that's been created. You see everything that is old and decaying and, and falling apart and groaning in this world today God has done away with that and he's created a new heaven and a new earth and he's created this new city, this new Jerusalem to be at the centerpiece of it all. This is the capital. this is the center of, of all culture and industry and beauty and art of the new civilization that is the new life and the thing that, thing that's just interesting to me is we talk about when I die, I'm going up to heaven actually heaven comes down to earth and earth and heaven are merged and it's a new earth and a new heaven with new jerusalem it's described with gold and pearls and precious stones the picture of the foundations not just foundations the foundations of the city All these precious gemstones are described. And if you are familiar with any of them, you've got stones that are so colorful that are are bright crystals just, just shining brightly in the light. But then you've got different colors and you have bright reds and vivid greens and yellows and golds and blues and purples. And it's like all the colors of the rainbow right there in the foundation of this city. And the wall itself is made out of jasper which is like a diamond or an opal. The street of the city, not asphalt, not gravel, not dirt, but gold. Gold that's transparent, gold that's so pure, highly refined, how glorious. A superhighway to end all superhighways. And in the middle of that city is a river, a water of life that's so vividly brilliant, bright, clear, splashing in effervescence, flowing from the very throne of God bringing life to all who drink it. The streets, the river are lined with the trees of life. And I don't know that this is one big giant tree as much as it is the the species of trees. Every month it produces fruit. You eat it, you live forever. The leaves of the tree, just the leaves, you know what we rake up in the fall and throw in the compost mile or, or burn, those leaves are valuable. They heal people. You might say, but how come there's healing in heaven when I thought we had perfect bodies and there's no more sin and crying and suffering and pain? And that's true, but you know what? There's an ongoing restorative process and life-giving process and healing process and this therapeutic work of God, emotionally, mentally, physically, it's ongoing through eternity and we're fully restored to what God has called us and created us to be, what Christ died to save us to be. God is doing all of this. Do you see the beauty of the city? Do you see gates that are so large, made of a pearl, with an honor guard of an angel standing there, 12 gates around the city, three in each direction. I mean, ancient Babylon only had eight gates. Jerusalem, at the time that this was written, had only four gates. This is a a city that's so large, the largest city of all, the most beautiful, glorious city of all. Available, open, no nighttime, always day. Something else that's interesting, do you notice the things that are missing? There's a beauty about the city because of the things that are not there. Well, there's no sea. And some of you who love the beach are already thinking, well, I'm not going to like that. I'm a beach person. Where's the sea? I like sunrises on the beach. I like wiggling and putting my feet and toes in the sand. Where's the beach? When he talks about the sea, remember in Revelation that the sea was not just talking about oceans and lakes and things like that, big bodies of water, but it, was this, it had this very symbolic presence of chaos and wickedness. It talked about the antichrist, the beast, rising up out of the sea and the wicked nations of people being like the ocean and the sea that are just constantly churning up wickedness and chaos and destruction and sin. And he's saying that that's not the characteristic of the new heavens and the new earth. It's not a repeat of all the problems that we have. It's a city, but it doesn't have the violence. It's a city, it doesn't have the smog and pollution. It's a city, it doesn't have the congestion and, 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 and violence and, and disruption and chaos that our cities have today. There's a beauty and a glory about it because there are things that make our cities so ugly in ways. Yes, they're beautiful, but there's also an ugliness to our cities. Those things are missing. For example, it says no more sea, no more wickedness and violence. It talks about that there's no more sun and moon. Why? Because God's present there. And He's the light and the Lamb of God, Jesus is there and He's the sun and they and their glory are shining their light upon us. And you're thinking, but I love the sunrise and I love seeing the moon in the nighttime sky when it's so clear out and you can see the features of it. I love those things. I like what Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, the great Bible scholar said, that sun that you love watch rising, that you love watching set, that sun that shines down upon you and makes your garden grow, and it gives you all that vitamin D that gives you that healthy tan and all those kinds of things, that sun that's there to just warm our world and give light to it, that's just the scaffolding that's covering the real deal. Now, you know what it's like if you've, if you've maybe traveled to see a famous monument or, or a beautiful uh, a building or something like that, and it's, it's being renovated, and they've built this scaffolding. You know, the platforms that they erect around the outside of this structure so the workmen can climb on it and do their work and, and, and build it and paint it and do all these things. I remember visiting Washington several years ago, and there was a scaffolding around the Capitol Dome, and it was there just because they were remodeling and they were cleaning it up and they were fixing it. And they'd actually taken this statue of Columbia off the roof of the the dome and and they were, were fixing that up. And you're looking at it and you're saying, well, you know, that scaffolding's impressive, but it's not the beauty of the Capitol building. You and I get so stuck and we're so fascinated with the scaffolding that we fail to see the glory that God wants to reveal. The moon and the sun, the most beautiful objects in our solar system to us are just a foretaste of the glory of God that we will see in the new Jerusalem. The scaffolding will be taken down and we'll see the glory of God. The brilliance of the sun mirrors the glory of God. The beauty, the light of the moon, it mirrors the glory of God. That scaffolding will be removed and we'll see God in all his glory and all his magnificence and all his radiance and beauty. And why will we see him? Because he will be there in the city. His throne is there. He announces clearly that now the dwelling place of God is with man, with humans. We have a permanent guest, He's a permanent resident. He never has to go make sure his visa's in force. He will be here, he will be with us, and we will be with him, not just in a spiritual sense, but physically present with him in the new Jerusalem in this glorious city. That's what makes the city so beautiful. It's not just the gold and the precious stones and the big gates and the angels that are there and the river of life and the tree of life. It's not just those wonderful, glorious, radiant things, those beautiful things. It's the fact that God himself is there. And he is present in all his beauty and splendor and majesty and we will see him. In fact, at the very end of our reading today in chapter 22, In verse 5, verse 4, they, God's people, will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. I mean, think about it. Moses, the great lawgiver, never saw God face to face. God said, if you see me, it'll kill you. No one saw God's face. But the people of God in New Jerusalem will see God And look in his eyes and see him face to face. His name will be on them, indicating his ownership of them, their status, their privilege. They belong to him and nothing will ever separate them from him for all eternity. God is present there. God's glory is there just as when you remember in the Old Testament when they built the tabernacle that special glorious tent that they had built for the a portable temple of God and then when Solomon built the the actual temple of God in Jerusalem it says that the glory of God this glorious beautiful brilliant radiant cloud filled the tabernacle It wasn't just smoke it wasn't just smog or fog it wasn't God's fog machine and laser light show going on there it was God's own glory This radiant cloud filling the temple, and it was so brilliant that the people couldn't even go in and do the work. The priests had to leave. They had to evacuate because God's glory was so brilliant they couldn't stand it. But now that glory is there in New Jerusalem, and he's on his throne, and his people are before him, and they can look him in the face. And God is able to reach down and wipe every tear off their faces every eye will be dried. And there will be no more mourning in the sense of grieving, lamenting. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death because God is there to personally comfort His people, to strengthen His people, to equip His people, to share His glory, life, and beauty with His people for all eternity. You get to be with God. And wherever he is, that's where the party is. That's where life is. That's where the joy is. That's where the fulfillment is. That's where the purpose is. If you've got him and if you're with him, you've got everything you need for all eternity. Heaven's going to be so beautiful. The new Jerusalem, so beautiful, so glorious because of all these things that we see here. It's sheer size, it's wealth, it's beauty, the things that are missing because God's there. No more curse there. Everything that's accursed, everything that's wicked will be banned from there. The doors, the gates are always open. It's always accessible, this glory, this beauty, this life and vitality always available. It never is night there. They never turn it off and shut it down and go on, va- go on vacation because it's always there for the people of God to share the life of God with Him forever. No more curse. In a very real sense, this city is a temple. And you think about the cube shape of the city, this massive 1,500-mile and dimension cube. It's like the holiest place in the Jewish temple and tabernacle. That room was shaped like a cube, same width and length and height. And it's a reminder of the very presence of God. God says, I'm going to come, and this is now the headquarters of the universe. This is now the capital of creation, the universe. And you're right here with me. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, if you're my child, if you're my son, my daughter, wherever you've been, whatever you've been through, if you've put your trust in Christ, you're with me and I'm with you and nothing can separate us and you share this beauty and life and vitality with me. I'm with you and you're with me for all eternity. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful home. But I gotta admit that some people have said, that sounds nice, but it sounds boring. And they're wondering, what are you going to do? I like to be busy. I want to go do something. I don't just want to lay on a cloud and play a harp. I can't play a guitar, so how am I going to play a harp? I can't sing now. How am I going to sing then? It just sounds boring. I mean, billions and billions and millions and billions and billions in eternity just lounging around. I mean, Vince Gill sings that song, go, you know, go up that high mountain and get your rest. And rest up there. You deserve it. Go rest. We even read in Revelation that those who die in the Lord, they rest from their labors. It sounds like we're just going to lay around and sleep and be on vacation, just have the big heavenly hammock and just kind of sip our, you know, iced tea, sweet tea, whatever, or lemonade, and, and there we are for all eternity. And some of us are going... Not sure, sir, that that sounds very exciting. I want to let you know that the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem is going to be a busy place, an exciting place, a fun place, a fulfilling place, a place where you will reach your full potential and then some. You'll become everything that God created you and meant you to be and experience the life and joy of working with God for all eternity. Let me me show you what I mean. I think it's important for us to understand that this heavenly home, this busy home, it's first called a city. Think about a city. And again, you know, we, we think about the big buildings and noise and conge- you know, congestion, a lot of traffic, smog, things like that, and I'm asking you just to push all that kind of aside and just think about the, the grouping of people and everyone coming to a city and, and what they're doing. They're, they're doing business. They're doing education. They're doing the arts. There's culture. There's theater. There's music. There's, there's creativity, there's planning and development and building. All these things are happening in a city, and it's no accident that he describes Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, as a city. All the good things that a city is, the great things that take place in a city. It's described that way. The fact that God is there, he thinks the city's great. He loves being in this city because that's where he is. But he also describes this as a garden. Did you notice that? Especially in chapter 22. So there's this golden street, which sounds like a city. And there's the walls and foundations and the gates, which sound like a city. But then there's this river that's like a flowing mountain stream. And then there's these trees that produce fruit. The tree of life. Where have you heard of the tree of life before? Hmm, you gotta flip all the way back to the first pages of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, chapters one, two, and three, and you see that there are rivers in Eden, and there the Garden of Eden, and there is a river of life there, rivers flowing there, and there's also the tree of life. I think everything that has been going on in Genesis chapters one, two, and three, the the, the fall of Adam and Eve, rebelling against God, eating the forbidden fruit, everything taking place in chapter 4 and following has been pointing, everything in the Bible has been pointing to chapter 21 and 22. The new Eden, the new tree of life, the new dwelling place of God. Remember, Adam and Eve walked through the garden with God. They talked with God in the cool of the day. They worshiped God, they learned from God. Can you imagine having a Bible study when God's doing the teaching? Yeah, I'd sign me up, I'd like to go. Can you imagine what it would be like having God explain these things and explaining what he's like and how to relate to him and how to get along with all the things with each other and then all the things on earth? And Adam and Eve had that and they forfeited it by eating the fruit and disobeying him. And what God has been doing is bringing about the salvation and redemption of the human race through sending His Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the dead, who ascended into glory, who came back and took over this world. That's what Revelation is showing us. He comes back and He conquers it. And He throws away evil and wickedness, the devil, the demons, all His enemies wind up in the lake of fire. And God is taking this this wreckage of humanity and this wreckage of this earth and the heavens and he restructures all of it and makes it gloriously new. And he puts his people in this city which is really a garden and it's like the new Garden of Eden and the people who live there in their city are like the new Adams and the new Eves and they've been given a job. Do you remember in Genesis chapter chapter 1 where it talks about that God formed Adam and Eve, the first people in His image, and He gave them dominion over all the creation. They were to rule over all of nature. They were to administrate the creation. That was humans' responsibility. And when it says that he gave them dominion, not to exploit it, not to abuse it, not to take advantage of it, not to waste it, but to manage it well so that there's blessing and prosperity for everyone so that the earth could reach its full potential. My understanding of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 is that the Garden of Eden was the one place on earth that was perfect and beautiful. But the rest of the world, it need to be tamed. It needed to be domesticated. God's presence was there, the power of God was there, the potential of God was there, it was all there. But it needed humans to work with God and making it everything it could be. And we lost that. We lost that when Adam and Eve obeyed the devil instead of submitting to God and letting God be Lord of their lives. All that is reversed. We get to the new heavens and the new earth and we're in this city of science and culture and literature and history and beauty and music and theater and all these things are taking place in this city because it's a city. And it's filled with people. People that God has created in His image. And they have this garden. This aspect of this city has life and bounty and prosperity and fruitfulness. And we are the new Adams and the new Eves who are called to reign with him, as it says at the end of verse five, chapter 22. To have dominion over this new creation and manage it to serve God and ruling over it to help it reach its full potential. Can I say it this way? I believe the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem are going to be perfect, but there's going to be a, can I just say it this way? And you might think I'm a heretic. There's going to be a sense of incompleteness. It's it's all there. It's all beautiful. It's all glorious. No sin, no disease, no death, no corruption, no chaos. But it can become so much more as God works through it with his people. I was with friends recently and they they pointed out, we were discussing this passage and just thinking about it. And and they said, well, maybe we'll be involved in, in taking the message of salvation to other worlds. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, it's just speculation. I do know one of the things that I believe is going on in that new Jerusalem when we're there before the Lord is we'll be telling each other our stories and we'll be learning from each other And I think the women will be able to tell the men what it was really like to be a woman in a me too world and what it's like to really follow Christ as a female. And men will share the same. And I think our black brothers and sisters be we able to tell the white brothers and sisters and our Asian brothers and sisters and those who are from Eastern Europe and those who suffered under communism and those who grew up and served the Lord in, in realms where there was persecution because of Islam, they will, they will share that and we'll hear each other's story and we will grow and we'll understand how rich and full and complex and beautiful is the whole body of Christ. Because heaven is not just you getting to go sit on your cloud with your harp and halo. It's you being there with the family of God and enjoying that community with God and doing his work together, serving him together. His people, his servants will serve him. They'll worship him. They'll work for him. I think heaven's going to be a busy place, a wonderful place. You'll never ever be bored there a friend of mine said well when you talk about reigning with Christ that sounds like a lot of meetings <laughs> I don't want any meetings some of you have jobs like that you're meeting doubt no meetings for me well what if you had a meeting and people could actually agree on something what if you had a meeting that you were actually designing something that had purpose and value what if you actually were producing something that was meaningful for all eternity what if the work you were doing was not exhausting but invigorating? What if you had unlimited resources? What if you, had, you understood that everything that you were doing was bringing glory to God? And what you were learning, can you imagine that, that you actually learn things in glory in the new heavens and the new earth? We think, oh, I'll have a computer mind when I get to heaven. I'll know everything. Well, yes, we'll know as we are known, but I think you've got all eternity to learn. That's a wonderful thing. Some of you can't read enough books, take enough classes, watch enough YouTube how-to videos. Imagine being able to always be learning and using what you're learning for the glory of God. And there won't be sin and there won't be rivalries and there won't be, there won't be selfishness and there won't be violence and there won't be inequity and injustice. Imagine that. Imagine having God there coaching you as you're doing it. Yes, I do want you to make sure that this forest grows this way. I I do want you to go and help these animals learn how to do this, and this is really the best way how to do this because, I mean, God's the ultimate horse and dog and animal whisperer. What if he coached us and showed us how so that we really are going with the flow instead of fighting and going against the grain? Can you imagine that? I think that's why I say heaven's going to be busy but blessedly busy. Not wearying, not exhausting, but fulfilling. Like at the end of the day when you say, you know, I did something good today. We got something done. That garden got planted. The lawn got mowed. I I helped my son or daughter really understand that difficult math problem. They passed the test. We were able to build this. We did that. And there's a sense of, thank you, Lord. We were able to do this. It's a blessedly busy place, this home that we have, because we're working with God and reaching our full potential and doing everything that we can do. Will you still have your spiritual gifts in heaven? Maybe. Will you still have that emphasis? Will I be teaching in heaven? Maybe. Will I learn other things? I hope. But I think there's this growth and development of life with God. It's a wonderful place to worship God and serve him. Not just singing, not just saying, oh God, you're so wonderful. I mean, that's plenty to do. And if I do that for all eternity, I'll be glad because he's that wonderful. But to be able to work with him and do what he calls us to do. It's a blessedly busy home. It's a beautiful home. It's the believer's home. And this is important for you and I to catch as we conclude today. Do you notice what he says at the beginning of chapter 21? As the voice from the throne says to John, this is in verse three, behold the dwelling place of God is with man. This is what he's witnessing, this, this new Jerusalem coming down, the new heavens and the new earth, the glory and beauty of it all, the busyness and industry of it all, the creativity of it all. As he's witnessing all of this, he's seeing its wealth and glory in every way. He says this is the, really the bottom line. It's the dwelling place of God with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain because the former things have passed away. Look, I'm making all things new. Write this down. You can count on this. But then notice what he says in 6. It is done. I've built everything necessary for the eternal happiness of me and my people. It's finished. I am the Alpha and Omega. I started it all. I end it all. It all comes from me. To the thirsty, he says... I will give of the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, this inheritance. But to the cowardly and faithless and detestable and murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He says very clearly here, there are people who are thirsty and there are people who are conquerors. There are people who are longing for Christ and longing for his fulfillment. And he says, come and drink. We'll talk about that at the end of chapter 22 next week. Come and drink. Jesus will satisfy and quench your thirst. Come to him. He says to the people who are the conquerors, the people who put their trust in Christ. We've seen this idea of somebody being a conqueror all throughout the book of Revelation, especially in those letters in chapter two and three. The people who are the conquerors, the people who overcome the suffering and wickedness and violence and unfaithfulness and apostasy and idolatry of the age, the people who are able to overcome persecution, they're the people who put their trust in Christ because he's the conqueror. He's the one who By his death on the cross conquered sin and death and the devil. He's the one by rising from the dead has given life forevermore. He's the one who comes back in glory that we read about in chapter 19 and chapter 20. He conquers all the, the enemies of God on earth and he sets up his kingdom and He brings about the final judgment and He brings about the eternal state, the new heavens, new earth, the new Jerusalem. He's the one that conquers and does that and if you trust Him and rely on Him you have conquered too. The victory is yours also. The only way you get into that eternal kingdom, the only way that God's eternal home becomes your forever home is if you join his forever family, you become a conqueror by trusting in Christ. And trusting in him makes the victory yours. You share his victory. You conquer with him and through him when you trust in Christ. Now if you refuse to do that, he calls you a cowardly person because you're afraid of the persecutors, the oppressors. You were afraid of death, afraid of violence, afraid of suffering, afraid of pain, afraid of these things. And instead of relying on Christ and trusting in Him and understanding that He will see you through all that, be with you through all that, get you through all that, and that He has a future home for you on the other side of that, you were afraid of the pain and suffering today and you gave in And as a coward, you surrendered to idolatry and you surrendered to immorality and you surrendered to the forces of oppression and you rejected Christ. And he says, all the people who do that, and he describes them as immoral and murderers and detestable, they worshiped idols, they were faithless and liars. Your destiny is a lake of fire. The only way you get into heaven and it becomes your forever home is if you're a believer because that's what makes you conquer. That's what gives you the victory. Are you willing to trust in Christ? And so have you done that? That's the question that every person here needs to answer. Everyone listening to this needs to answer. Have you trusted in Christ? Are you relying on him? Have you sought his forgiveness and acceptance by trusting in Christ? Have you done that? Then you become a member of his family. But if you're trusting in your own ability or you're trusting in your government or your your, your popularity or your relationships with others or material wealth or your religious activity, if you're trusting in those things to try to somehow help you get right with God, you will fail. You will be overcome. You will not be an overcomer. You'll be defeated. You won't be victorious. Because it's relying on Christ alone that we have victory over all the suffering and pain and opposition that we face in this life, oppression that we face in this life. It's trusting in Him. If you're a believer, you've already trusted in Christ, this passage is saying, hold on, it's worth it. Hold on, don't give in to persecution, don't give in to suffering, don't give in to the sorrow and pain, don't give in to that and make you, you know, let that cause you to lose your faith and trust in Christ. Hold on to Jesus, it's worth it. It's worth it. I had a conversation with a, a dear friend this week. We were sitting at Panera enjoying some coffee and somehow we got talking about grief and that led him down another path and he kind of joked about that and he said, you know what, if, ever, if I ever find out, he's not, he claims not to be a Christian and he says, you know what, if I find out that I've got a terminal illness and there's nothing I can do to get rid of it, I'm gonna blow my brains out. That's, what I'm gonna, that's how, I'm, how I'm gonna deal with it. And you know, there's a lot of people who think that. My suffering has no value. My pain is not worth it. I'm going to die anyway. I might as well just head it off at the pass and end my life. That's what I should do, commit suicide. I should just do that. And we talked about that, and I tried to discourage And Please don't do that. We love you. We talked about the fact that, you know, if you start making allowances for that kind of stuff, then maybe somebody in power will start executing people they don't like. You know, if they're elderly or they're handicapped in some way or they're a different race or a different religion, they'll just start executing people like that because that's happened in history when we give permission for people to do that kind of stuff. But the other thing that we talked about was the fact that, you know what? When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't try to end his own life and short-circuit it he endured it. He went through it all, he went through the shame, he went through the beatings, he went through the whippings, he went through the false accusations, he went through the betrayals, he went through the nails in his hands and feet, he went through the crown of thorns, he went through the spear on his side, he went through hanging on the cross and having all his friends desert him, he went through all that because of the joy that was set before him. He endured that cross. He despised its shame and kept going and doing what was right. He held on. And he held on for you and me so we could share his victory. He knew that resurrection day was coming. He knew that there would be the glorious ascension. He knew that he would come back in power and glory. He knew that the Holy Spirit would come. He knew that these things would happen and he could endure the suffering because he knew it was worth it. My friend didn't believe. He's not there yet. But I'm praying for him and I'll keep talking to him and keep loving him and encouraging him. But you and I can see the difference that if you're going through suffering and you're a believer, you don't have to go alone because you've got a God who entered your grief and entered your suffering and he'll go with you and he'll see you through to the other side, to the glorious forever home of God's family. One last thing that's important to see. Heaven is not just for you by yourself. It's for the family of God. God. And we're going to spend all eternity with the family of God. And if we're going to spend all eternity with the family of God, then, for eternity, billions and billions of years, why don't we learn to get along today and work together and cooperate and use our gifts and volunteer and serve go to growth group, go to small Bible study, go to all these things that we can do to pray for and build up and serve and work together. Life is better together. Ministry is better together. That's the destiny that we have when we think about heaven as well, that we'll be doing it together for the glory of God. Heaven's beautiful. It's also busy, but it's only for believers. I trust that you've put your faith in Jesus as well hang on to Jesus because it is worth it would you pray with me please father in heaven thank you so much for the privilege of being in your presence today I thank you for the opportunity to 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 share Christ this morning to to dream about to to see this this vision of 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 glory of being in your presence in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem thank you for this Thank you for the beauty and majesty of it all. Most of all, thank you that we'll get to be with you and work with you and serve with you and reign with you. What a joy and what a privilege. Father, I ask you, help us have that hope always before our eyes that we would not give up, but hold on to Jesus because he truly is and his home is truly worth it. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.